With Capella University's FlexPath learning format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show on the Choose Yourself Network. Today on the James Altucher Show. I had a backpack and I had a two, three thousand dollars in my name and I just lost my job. And I sort of went off on this journey where I climbed in the Himalayas, went to Tibetan monasteries, went to uh, end up in Spain and end up walking this pilgrimage in Spain called the Camino de Santiago, completely accidental. This is actually what I learned. So there's only, I think, a couple of fears that are valid. It's like if there's a burning inferno. I think outside of that, if it's fear, like inner fear, but like how we may be perceived or what may happen or something negative happen, I actually think we've turned it upside down. I think that's actually a signal to go forward. You're dealing with personal fears, you're in a foreign country, you don't speak the language, you know, people die doing these things, you know, you, blisters. Some people get so blisters, they stop. You know, it's, but it's all a matter of step by step by step, it happens. Then all sorts of resolutions just happen. It's funny, when you let go, is when we let go, is when all things just start to happen and all the realizations come and just life just starts to work more. Define let go, use another phrase. Uh, forgiveness, for example, is a letting go, right? Um, saying yes to life and not fighting it, not resisting what's happening. I think that's a key theme in this book, and oh, I've learned. What does that mean, it's, saying yes to life? It's actually something that a monk told me years ago, and I really layered that as a core theme in this book. I, I remember asking him, uh, I was a bit of a wise ass, I think, but I really meant it. I was like, how do you, he just looks so calm and peaceful and so joyful. I was like, how do you find peace? Because his life was not easy. And I was like, how do you find peace? And he looked at me and goes, uh, easy question, huh? And I'm like, eh, you know, if I'm going to ask you a question, that's the question. He said, okay, I'll tell you. He said, I say yes. To all that happens, I say yes. And that literally is a secret. Because I think so much, so much of our pain uh, it comes from resisting what's happening. It's not giving in and saying, yay, you know, like, okay, let me just... But it's like being in the moment, saying yes, and then coming from there, what do I want to do? That's a place of power. Here we go, Kamal Ravikant. Welcome back. You didn't even remember you were on my podcast two years ago. How could you forget? I am horrified. That pivotal my... experience in your life. You launched me, James. You, I'm horrified. You had I'm written sorry. this excellent book that so many people have loved called Love Yourself. It's got 2,200, 2200 reviews on Amazon now. Uh, how does that make you feel? Uh, it's, Mostly it's, positive. It's Mostly humbling, man. Reviews. It's humbling. And you launched that book. You wrote a blog post about it. And all I did was hide underneath the table after it came out. And it just took off. Well, well, what I want to say is we're going to talk about your new book. It's your first novel, Rebirth. But it's very autobiographical. And there's a lot of issues that 
could be useful to anybody, but people should read the book to, to get the full in depth. But I want to mention about Love Yourself. What I really wanted to do with that book was steal it from you. <laughs> so I, I remember you told me the story and I called you up and I was like, you should let me interview you and I'll write it up, uh, what your story. And you were like, ah, I think I'm going to write this as a book. I was stalling you. I was terrified. There was no way. Because remember, because I was terrified of what people in Silicon Valley would think of me. You know, yeah. I thought because at that time, look, I had, my company had blown up. I failed. I got so sick, and here I was talking about, look, I love myself, and I got better. You know, and I changed my life around. And I remember telling you that story at the W Hotel when you came to San Francisco, yeah. and you're like, oh, I'll do a blog post. And then you said, I'll let you do a guest blog post. That's when I really got terrified. And then I did say to you, tell you what, I'll put it all together, and if you say I should publish it, I will. And so I worked really, really, really hard on it. Insanely hard. I, you know, locked myself in my apartment, grew a beard for like a month, just morning till night. Love yourself, working on it. Hot, you know, then cutting it, and then I sent it to you, and I didn't hear from you for like three weeks or four weeks, and I was like, oh shit, he hates it, and, and it was just you. You were just swamped, and you're like, oh, you, I love this. You have to publish it. I'm writing a blog post on it. I was like, oh, so then I then I published it, and it changed my life. It well, actually changed my life. It's a great book. I mean, we're again, we're going to talk about rebirth because there's a lot of things in there. That are that's fascinating and, and and rebirth comes out January third. This podcast will probably also come out January third uh, to coincide with that. But um, there was one thing about love yourself, other than the content itself, which is of course beautiful and you've gotten great response to it. But one thing that I thought about when looking at love yourself that was really interesting to me has nothing to do with the book itself, but has to do with the publishing industry, uh-huh. which is. You self-published that. Obviously, it was a huge bestseller. I mean, to get 2,200 reviews, you had to have sold hundreds of thousands of copies of books. But how many pages is the book? Um, it's 8,000 words. So I would say in a, in a paperback, probably like 40-something pages or 40 right. pages. So a publisher never publish would it. never publish that. Ever. In the history of publishing, no publisher since Gutenberg would publish <laughs> That book, unless they it was would, Ben Franklin who did pamphlets. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but he did pamphlets, and he yeah. was he he self published. He yeah. actually owned yeah. his own printing press. Yeah. So so, but but what's interesting to me is that I st- I it was a realization to myself, huh? A book doesn't have to be two hundred fifty pages, which is what a publisher basically requires, you know, and uh, specifically two hundred fifty pages because. Uh, if it's too much, it gets more expensive to print, and it's too little. Bookstores don't want it, or for whatever reason. Uh, so, so you showed me that. Oh, okay, anything goes. I you can write a ten-page book uh, and put it on Amazon. You could write a a five-thousand-page book and put it on Amazon. I'm just gonna see how many pages Rebirth is. Excuse me for a second. Two hundred thirty pages. Yeah. So right near the two hundred fifty-page mark. Okay, let's talk about Rebirth. Your first novel, but also borderline autobiographical. And I mean, I've even spoken to your yeah. publisher, who's mostly a nonfiction publisher, but um, he liked the way you took your real experiences and brought out more truth in it by putting it in a fictional format. So this novel is sort of this fictional journey that you went on. Your main character is called Amit, yeah. but I keep thinking of him as Kamal. I keep picturing you <laughs> in yeah. the thing, and I always wonder if you met all these amazing characters in your real life. But what, 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 what? Tell, tell, describe the book a little bit. Well, the book's actually based on my life uh, in the sense that when I was in my twenties, uh, mid twenties, and my dad died, and I wasn't close to him. Uh, 
Why weren't you close to him? Uh, my parents were divorced when I was a kid. My mom raised my brother and I, and I never saw him. Uh, but I was with him the night he died. Can I? Can I ask? I'm sorry to interrupt. No, please. I always interrupt. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, so you never saw him. Did he live like across the street, or did he live in another state? Or no, where? he lived in the same city. But he was actually. Uh, it wasn't a good parting, and he was in a. You know, he was a troubled, abusive man. Which is my my mom left him and took my brother and I and. It was a very hard time. We had no money. My mom raised my brother and I on nothing, like minimum wage. Where did she work? Uh, she, we were in Jamaica, Queens, 10 locks on her door. She worked, I think, in Bronx or Brooklyn. She used to commute every day, like several hours a day. And he wouldn't help at all? No, uh, no. What was he doing? I don't know. Uh, he was a troubled man. And uh, Can I ask? I'm just really curious. Yeah. I'm sorry if it brings... Because I know you don't no, really no, no. mention it in the book, but you yeah. would just allude to it. Um in what what do you mean he was troubled? And he was abusive, abusive wow. uh, physically, emotionally. Um, like, would he hit you? Would he hit your mom? Both. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, I have a bunch of memories of that. And it's actually, which is why I actually, when I had a chance to reconnect with him, I chose not to as I was growing up because I carried that anger, that, that those memories as a kid. And yet, when I found out he had cancer and he was dying, I reconnected with him. And I only how, went. How did you reconnect with him? I went to see him. And it was really hard. Uh, it was very, very hard to come. You know, it's there's something about blood that you can't escape from, no matter what, right? And to face it. And then, uh, when he was in the last night in the hospital, the hospital called me, and I flew out, and I was with him, and I made him a promise. He'd asked me for something, and I'd said I didn't want to do it. But when he was there dying, I said I would, uh, which was he wanted me to take his ashes to the Ganges, which is a tradition of our ancestors. So the Ganges, just to, for anybody listening who, who might not know, is this river in India with very spiritual uh, kind of connotations to it. Uh, how would you describe the Ganges? Uh, a big river full of a lot of like chanting people and bonfires and, and yet beauty uh, flows in from the Himalayas. It's like the most sacred river in India. And I didn't know much about it, honestly. I, I just went and showed up there. And I, I had a backpack and I had a two three thousand dollars in my name and I just lost my job and what no was health your job insurance. That you lost? I was doing a trauma research in emergency departments. And How'd you I, lose a job like that? Don't they uh, need when, people to do trauma research? Uh, when you go away for a while. <laughs> uh, you know, I took a like they just couldn't bear like they didn't have the like they needed people in the emergency room every day and I was gonna go away for a few weeks. And once I was gone I actually came home eight months later. And I sort of went off on this journey where I climbed in the Himalayas, went to Tibetan monasteries, went to uh, end up in Spain, ran, you know, and end up walking this pilgrimage in Spain called the Camino de Santiago, completely accidental. So, so Camino de, de Santiago, um, that's like the path of St. James or something like that? It is. It's an 11th century pilgrimage um, based on where they, assumed, where they thought the tomb of St. James was. And people, I mean, millions of people have walked over the centuries. And it's fascinating because people still come. I think about like 100,000 people a year come from all over the world to walk it. And most of them aren't Catholic. Most of them aren't religious. It's the whole thing about walking somewhere in the footprints of millions of millions, kings to paupers who walked ahead of you for, for so many centuries. And you walk in those footsteps every day in a country that's not yours. And it's a, it's a journey of personal transformation. And I didn't know that. I was just doing it. And because I was just wandering. Why did you decide? So you you, you were in Tibet, yeah. and suddenly you said, "Okay, I'm going to go to Spain and go on this." No, no, no. It was a long, convoluted thing. And then the, this is not a novel because novel is based on the experience, not the experience. But I was in Italy visiting a friend from college, and I was very drunk one night with a beautiful Italian woman, and she brought it up and to impress her, I said I would. 
And next morning, I woke up all all sober and thinking, huh? Uh, then I just had to look it up. <laughs> I'm like, you promised a you woman know, you've got to go on the beautiful Italian with like these beautiful green cat like eyes. By the way, it's a 550 <laughs> mile pilgrimage that you have to walk. Well, I didn't know it was that long. I thought it took a week at the time, and I was like, oh, a week backpacking. And actually, I thought you know, it'd be good to get away in a country where I don't speak the language, just get away from everyone, just think. So, 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 I want to really strongly underline how beautiful and rare a thing this is. So so this is a pilgrimage that people mm-hmm. would go on, a, a religious pilgrimage that you could kind of take away the religious aspect now because like you say, not even right. Catholics go on it. It's Many people go on it to, to find some icon at the end or goal at the end ostensibly. But really what's happening is, you know, right now, like if I want to go to the Maldives and stay in an underwater hotel, I can book a plane, go out there, go snorkeling for a week, come back. It's almost like globalization has made experience too convenient, too commoditized. But you can't do that with a pilgrimage. Like a pilgrimage is the one thing in the world that's still, uh, the one type of experience in the world that's still original. You have to go through it. And it really is. I think, you can't just take a, vac- a vacation no. to the Camino. De you Santiago. can take a plane to the to the to, to the, the end. Fan, to the end, but but there's no point. There's That's no personal stupid. transformation, right? And you so know, so personal transformation comes from the originality that the Earth itself has given to us, as opposed to kind of the conveniences that modern technology has given to us. It's a journey. You know the classic poem Ithaca. It's not Ithaca when you get there. It's the journey of who you become and getting to Ithaca. Which is actually ultimately what a pilgrimage is. It's like your, it's like boot camp for me. It was another pilgrimage I did when I was in Fort Benning, Georgia, when I was eighteen. Right? It's like that. You daily challenge every day, and by the end, when you're when you graduate and you you earn your infantry court, you're a different person. You're a better version of yourself. You're a person who knows it can handle certain things in life you never thought. With this, with this pilgrimage, it was even more interesting because. All these kind of the kind of people who come to walk a pilgrimage are obviously different. They're not the average uh, person, and the conversations you have. What well, What do you mean? Like, are they? Because I can think of several things you might mean. You, on the one hand, they might be more troubled because they're trying to. You know, everybody is sort of at some point at the beginning. Of, and again, correct me if I'm wrong. My guess is at the beginning of your journey. Yes, you promised a woman, but also there must be some element where. You were still troubled by, yeah. uh, particularly the character in the book is, is yeah. troubled by his father's death in in various ways that are he doesn't even understand why he's troubled also by his his ex girlfriend he had left behind. Uh, there are many things troubling him, but also there's this willingness to surrender to 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 seek that personal transformation. So often people are troubled, but they're not willing to surrender on the path of personal transformation, and that's what a pilgrimage. What other elements have to? Ha- am I wrong, or what other no, elements yeah, have right. to happen? Ultimately, in a, pilgrimage? a pilgrimage, I think, is a great encapsulation for you. Want to take lessons? You want to learn life lessons in years, and want to but want to do it really quickly? Go walk a pilgrimage. You get up every day. You have a backpack, and you walk west. And the adventures you have along the way. At least in this pilgrimage, you walk west. I uh, walked for thirty-seven not, days, but not so quickly. It's again not like you could take a plane to the end of the thing and say, "Oh, I did it." You have to walk it. Yeah, you have to. Some people bike it, you know. Some people ride donkeys, you know. Yeah, some but people, you have the journey. Yeah, probably. You know, I'm sure someone's riding a unicycle. It's, it's like probably now in a hoverboard or whatever, right? But still, you gotta make the journey. I'm gonna do it on a Segway. <laughs> you know, I bet you money someone's done it. You know, but you gotta do the journey. 
And you go through, you walk through deserts, you walk through mountains, you walk through cities and villages where people still look like they're in the 16th century. And, and, and you know, you're thinking, you're out under the stars. I slept in ruined castles and churches and wheat fields. And, you know, I drank a lot of wine and I met people along the way. And, and I met some amazing, unbelievably wise people. So tell me some of the characteristics of someone who begins a pilgrimage. Um, like, like among the people you met. Among the people I met, if I was to use myself, I was troubled. You know, I was trying to figure a lot of things out, what I wanted in life, and I didn't even, I was escaping from the memories of my father, um, coming to terms with death, his death, because there's a lot of unresolved issues. You know, it's like when someone dies and you haven't, you haven't had the conversations you wish you'd had, you know, like, and so now you got to have the conversations with yourself. It's hard. You know, and a pilgrimage in that sense is, was a great gift I gave to myself without realizing it because I could have those conversations with people I met. People with all, you know, people from Brazil, France, Spain, England, all over the world, Japan, with such various life experiences. And we shared with each other, you know, you share with each other stories of your lives and you can't help but grow. What do you think were some of the other reasons other people were on uh, this pilgrimage? I mean, some people are, you know, escaping from their lives. Some people are at that place where they don't know what to do next. That's a great time to go on a pilgrimage. It's, it's so actually, you're feeling stuck or in a rut somehow, or maybe something bad time. happened, and it's a time to, it's almost kind of removes yourself from, like I said earlier, like from the conveniences of modern society, so you can get back to this original state of the traveler, the journeyer. Yeah, the journeyer, and and the it's also it's also your journey intersecting with the journey of other pilgrims. That's what makes a pilgrimage, you know, not just walking alone all the time. And that's where the growth comes from. Um, that's where the transformation comes from. Like for so, like for me, it was you know, like I met people from all over, some incredibly sane people, some incredibly insane people, but they all like like their lessons, and we t you know, you can't help but. You don't have shallow conversations when you're walking a pilgrimage. You just can't do it. Do you think also um, because you've traveled to get there and because you're on essentially a hard journey, like you have to walk 30, 550 miles, um, do you think it helps you appreciate the conversations more as opposed to someone you just meet randomly, you know, your oh, yeah. friend for coffee or whatever? Yeah, because you're there for, you, you're there for a reason. You didn't just accidentally, unlike myself, but even sort of, you didn't just actually just want to wake up and you're on a pilgrimage. You're there for a reason. So that's almost like it's like when you're writing a story, there's a theme, and you stick to the theme writing the story. You sort of have a theme when you go. Either it's you're lost or you're trying to figure things out or you're saying some people walk it to say goodbye to things in their life, to people in their life they've lost. It's not, it's, it sounds like they're really saying goodbye to a chapter in their life. Yeah. And it's... Yeah. it's a, Again, on the surface, it's about someone they lost, but it's about their experience, saying goodbye to that experience, their personal experience with that person. Yeah, and you can't help but that happen. And what's interesting is when you do a journey like that, and like all things in life, um, what you set out for to do may not be what you need, but you get what you need. In these kind of journeys, it, has, it just happens. Because you're open, because you're you're actually physically moving forward, emotionally moving forward, spiritually moving forward. Like this, this novel is ultimately about forgiveness and saying yes to life. But the character doesn't know he needs that in the beginning. Right, because he's thinking he needs to, he's, grip, he's dealing with the fact that he needs to forgive his father, but he ends up in a weird way forgiving himself. Which is ultimate forgiveness. Right, um, he doesn't even know in the beginning he needs to forgive his father. You know, like, uh, but he has to go through this journey, and 
and and grow through it to to actually reach that space. But I'm I'm still intrigued by the idea of of the journey and and the wandering. Like the fact that you don't know what you're going to find at the end, and yet you're willing to go there, knowing that you don't know what you're going to find at the end. It's a very interesting thing. It so it becomes not about what you're going to see, but how you're going to see the things along the way. It kind of sharpens. Like right now, we wake up, we get in the car, we commute to work. Sometimes I'll drive or I'll I'll be driven twenty minutes, half hour, and I won't even remember all the things along yeah, the way because you yeah. do it the same thing every day. So you just your mind just goes away. But I imagine when you're on a pilgrimage like this, any pilgrimage really, it sh- it brings sharply into view all the things, the conversations, the things you see, all along the way. Even though you're aiming for this one goal, the tomb yeah. of Saint James. It's not about the tomb of St. James. It's about everything you see sharpens into view. You're absolutely right because everything is new and everything is transient and fleeting, which is life anyway, but we just take it for granted. But there, everything is literally new, different language. Every site is new. Every village is new. Every, you know, you one day you're walking on trails left, you know, left by the Romans, you know, walking on cobblestone bridges built by the Romans, you know, and the next day you're walking through like this crappy communist style like buildings with like steel bridges you know you just everything is just you can't help but just take in take it in and be more present because it's all new so you met a lot of women because there's the there's rose angela there's this is cat this is fiction but i'm sure there's based on real characters and and i won't give anything away on on any of them no you can't um no but i think oh we'll 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 preserve the sanctity of the novel because i think there's so many issues uh, interesting issues around the novel but like what um What's the most meaningful? And I'm sure that all of your interactions were very meaningful. So d- describe some of the meaningful interactions you've you've had with these people. Um, actually, uh, the the character that Cat is based on, she's she's real, and this woman was just amazing. Who had lived such a life. She was an English nurse who had like like tra- lived in Africa and became like became like a basically a de facto doctor in Africa and took her kids. Uh, three kids and one uh, three sons and one adopted daughter and just rode them across a Land Rover in Africa. I used to get pulled over by soldiers and machine guns and then and then used to give them cigarettes to remind them that she was human and then they would let her go and like and then uh, she worked in the film industry was very well known as this nurse that just loved people and she, I just met her randomly. We walked for a long time together and she shared me the stories of her life and they were just. I mean, those kind of people, right? Like those are the kind of people that end up on a pilgrimage. You don't know I mean. Uh, I don't think I met anyone who was just like not interesting, and ultimately everyone's interesting. But it's almost like when you're in that journey, um, the more interesting parts of them come out. But I wonder if it's like there's a transformation that happens on the pilgrimage to a pilgrimage. So no, you went through a lot uh-huh. on the way to the pilgrimage. Your father died, and that was very complicated. You went to India to do this ritualistic, like putting the ashes in the Ganges River. You went to Tibet. You went to Italy, and now you're ready to begin the pilgrimage. It's sort of like you're on a pre-pilgrimage. Yeah, the accidental pilgrim. Yeah. yeah. You know, looking back, I think I did that whole trip for eight months, something on $3,500, too, uh, which in itself was was a pilgrimage. Because people actually associate time with money, right? Time, people, There's a phrase, time is money. And so people think, well, I can't leave. I can't do a pilgrimage. It's... It'll take me away from this and that and my responsibilities. But the reality is, sometimes you have to do it. You have to go through a sense of surrender, a yeah. sense of of uh, personal discovery. Uh, was it? Were you scared along the way at all? Scared? No, I was. F- 
Um, fortunately, I've been in the military, so those like traveling doesn't scare me. Uh, what, what scares about scared me internally? Internally, yeah. Like the things about what I'd let, what was facing me back home because I left everything behind. Everything was falling apart back home, and yet I had this feeling that I had to do it. Once I started, I couldn't stop, and I couldn't explain it why. And but I've also learned, you know, looking back in my life, that's where you got to go. If you have fear, like that kind of fear, but something is propelling you forward. That's a signal. That's like the closest you can get to true north in your compass. So right? how can you? I, that reminds me of like Charles Sandberg's book, uh, Lean In. Like, how can you kind of lean? What's the technique for leaning into that fear? Because a lot of people have that. Like, I might be afraid to have a difficult conversation with somebody. I might be afraid to ask for a raise. I might be afraid to leave a job. Uh, how, there's lots of things people are afraid. Of. I might be afraid to write a book. Yeah. Uh, how do you lean in? What's the technique for leaning into that fear? That's a great question, and this is actually what I learned. So there's only, I think, a couple of fears that are valid. It's like if there's a burning inferno and you don't then have to pull run. anyone out, don't go in. I think outside of that, if it's fear, like inner fear about like how we may be perceived or what may happen or something negative happen, I actually think we've turned it upside down. I think that's actually a signal to go forward. What we do is, I don't know why, we actually use it as a signal to not cross that line. So I started to like actually look at that in my life. Like if I if it scares me, like that kind of scares me, I have to do it. Well, you figure, I mean, there's almost like an evolutionary thing happening where you figure we have this fear left over. It's the same fear that like let's say reptiles fear. So if they're if they see like uh, uh, an animal or even too much sunlight, so they're exposed, they're afraid and they run away. Um, and we we kind of have those same genes still in our reptilian brain, but now we live in a very complicated society, so most of those fears are irrational, so you should actually k- kind of move forward. When that's It's a signal for moving forward as opposed to a lion's about to eat you. Yeah, and actually, I think it's also connected to the heart. I think it's actually a signal goal. That's where the magic is. But you got to cross the line. you got to step up for life to show it to you. Like, look, like writing the book, you know, Love Yourself, putting it out. I was terrified. I was and my what friend, was, what, did, were you, did any of your fears come true? Did anyone say, what the heck is up with Kamal? A couple of people. Some people. But, you know, they were drowned out by all the other people whose, whose lives had changed. Yeah. You know, and also, but ultimately who I became in the process of someone who conquered that, not even conquered the fear, just use it as a guide to go forward. And then you start to live that more in your life. You know, um, I think that's a very, it's a very practical way to actually look at things as well. It's like, if I'm afraid and it's not a burning fire, a physical burning fire with no puppies or kids in there I got to run in and save, if it's outside of that, that's actually saying, go, that's where you go. That's- oh, okay, so let's say, and and I know this is only peripherally related to your book, but it, but but also not. Let's say I'm in my cubicle. I'm hearing this guy who went on this beautiful pilgrimage and wrote a, a novel about it. And it sounds like something appealing to me, but I feel like I can't do it myself. What what maybe small steps can one take to have kind of even a mini pilgrimage or inner pilgrimage? Yeah, I think ultimately, if you were to boil it down, like I said, I think a pilgrimage is a journey of personal transformation. It's one great vehicle. It's a vehicle that's been around for and human history since forever in so many cultures. Tibetans have their own, which is they're like bow and process themselves for like hundreds of miles every step then get a bow process themselves i mean that's <laughs> that's some serious Look, even jesus had his 40 days in the yeah, desert yeah you I, had your 37 days on the <laughs> i had my 13 and a half weeks in boot camp you know like uh, I, I think but outside of that any anything that causes us to first be challenged in some way we got to face fears 
And second is to go within, and that's that's a, a pilgrimage. I mean, you could go. It could be it could be anything really. It's it's facing fears and and going within. I mean, what would you do in your life for that? I think for me, a lot of it might have to do with different types of creativity, or also like meeting people. And yeah. Like like for you, a big part of this pilgrimage was not just what you saw, but the people who you met. You met people. There was there's an otherness. Yes. To the people you met. They're not yes. the people you went to school with. They're not the people you grew up with. They're not the people in your demographic. They're not the people you're used to. You met the other on this pilgrimage. And the other might be in the form of Loic, who was, traveled with you for quite a bit on the pilgrimage, or this Rose Angela, or Cat, or, you know, these many people who you never would have encountered otherwise. Yeah, and these people are some of the most important factors in my personal transformation of my life. It's funny how that works, right? When you go at... Um, when you go out of your ordinary. So I think actually part of a, a pilgrimage is going out of your ordinary, out of your safe space, whatever that is. You know, for a fighter pilot, flying a plane, a plane might be, you know, but going going to a bar where there's, and talking to, you know, I mean, I met some like really impressive baller soldiers, but like to go talk to a strange woman in a bar, you know, these guys could storm any building with ISIS fires, but go talk to one in a bar and it's the hardest thing in the world. You know, ultimately, it's personal transformation. It's facing your fears in a consistent way. What a do you pilgr- mean by consistent? Why pilgrimage, do you every, that? It's pilgrimage, you get up every day, you walk a particular direction, you have a path. It's consistent. You don't just do walk one day, then fly back home, then come back a year later, walk another day. The transformation comes from consistency. Let's stop to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Yes, it's totally true. Airbnb has changed my life. If anything, they have made my life so much better. Like I used to live in Airbnbs. I I lived in over 100 or 200 different Airbnbs over a three-year period, and I loved it. I I became a really good guest of Airbnbs, and I got to know lots of hosts. So when I initially owned a house, I, of course, the first thing I thought was, I'm going to turn my house into an Airbnb because I travel a lot. So why leave my house unused when I can make a side income by letting others Airbnb my house or come to stay in my house as guests? And having my own Airbnb or or being a host for Airbnb has allowed me to do just that. And I've met other hosts. I've actually spoken at Airbnb's host conference. I think it was in 2017. I met so many just nice hosts. It's a great community. And I love, you know, turning my own home into an Airbnb. Like I'm traveling to Austin next month. My home's going to be an Airbnb while I'm away. And I'll stay in an Airbnb. I'd rather stay in like a three story house Airbnb than in one tiny hotel room in, in the middle of Austin during South by Southwest. So listen, while you're away, your home could be an Airbnb. Many people host on Airbnb, but there are people who are just letting their house sit empty, who've never thought about it or didn't realize their space could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra money. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, then you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Daylight savings time is starting up again. Okay, podcast is over. That's all you needed to know. 
But why do we have uh, daylight savings time? Answer, to give us more daylight from March through November. By setting your clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day that initial, when we initially start daylight savings. But if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There's only one way to do that, ZipRecruiter. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to find qualified candidates for you. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100-plus job sites so you reach more of the right people. This is such a brilliant idea for a business, and ZipRecruiter did it. So ZipRecruiter's smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. I've used ZipRecruiter particularly as a potential employee, and I still, to this day, get messages every day. James Aldacher, would you like to apply to be... VP of entertainment at NBC or whatever. So there's just nonstop emails. Like I got five or six emails today because of because a year ago I signed up for ZipRecruiter. So spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Hey, listen, men's health is important. Men act all cocky and like they don't need anything. But the reality is, as you get older, there's some things you need. And it often feels like we're too busy to take care of our health problems. Like, I'd rather do anything then go to the doctor or the dentist or the pharmacy or whatever. But now you don't have to waste your time if you use HIMS. HIMS, H-I-M-S, HIMS is changing men's healthcare by providing simple and convenient access to science-backed treatments for erectile dysfunction, hair loss, weight loss, and more. The entire process is 100% online, so you get a new routine of improving your overall health faster. Jay, you listening to all this? <laughs> Yes, I definitely gonna use him for now. Not on. that you need it. You're you're young and healthy, James. I'm 35. You, you're getting there. You might you might need it. Who knows? But if prescribed, your medication ships directly to you for free and indiscreet packaging. No insurance is needed. You can manage your plan on the Hims app, track progress, and learn more about your conditions and how to treat them from leading medical experts. Start your free online visit today at Hims. Dot com slash James. Could you imagine that there's a whole section just with my name on it? Hims.com slash James. That's how I how much I am representative of the kind of person who needs hymns. That's HIMS.com slash James for your personalized treatment options. Hims.com slash James. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See hymns.com slash James for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. So maybe for a person at home, it could be, uh, you know, kind of the equivalent of a morning page is like journaling yeah. or take some different route to work where you experience something. I don't know. It's a, it's an exercise worth thinking about. Like what what are the pilgrimages we can do in in everyday life? 
I mean, it's also like it's interesting. You know, all pilgrimages have their own rituals. There's some like uh, preordained, some that people make up along the way, right? So one of the things I I try to do these days is like I have rituals. I have rituals I do in the morning, rituals I do at night. I usually fail at the one at night, but the ones in the morning is actually more important. At, at least I don't know if it's more important, but it's the one I succeed at more. And that in itself, done consistently, like improves the quality of my life. Like what are your what are your morning rituals? Well, I get up, I have my coffee, and I go sit by the couch by the window, and I do my love yourself meditation every day, and then I sit down and I do. Uh, I actually do a small version of, of uh, the morning pages. You know, three pages is too much for me. I'll write half a page, but it's like it's not writing. It's just getting my thoughts out. It's getting my life experience of yesterday out onto the page into today, and it gives me almost like a record of my life lessons. And um, and then sometimes I'll read a poem by Hafiz, and and try to think of a way I can like make that poem my anchor for the day. That's really interesting. Like, what can you think of a line or two from a Hafiz poem? Uh, one of my favorites is um, when I I wish I could show you. No, when you're in loneliness, when you're lonely or in darkness, I wish I could show you the astonishing light of your own being. Mm. You know, it's just the astonishing light of your own being. And so, so and so, how would you um, then take that line and? Would you like remind yourself of it? Off the astonishing light of my own being during so, the day. So, like, if you're feeling like, like, let's say, a car splashes mud on your pants and you're feeling down, you try to remind yourself of that poem. Or? Actually, the irony is when you're feeling down. When I'm feeling down, I don't remember any of that. So that's why I make it a practice. Mm-hmm. You know, that's my consistency. I'll just like certain times in the day, if I'm drinking my coffee or if I'm just doing something. Like before I came into the interview, you know, I was late. I took the train the wrong way. I came in, but I kind of like. What a Ren- fucked up move that was. It really was, man. I'm amazed you're still talking to me. And, and, <laughs> um, and but I, I do that before I walk in. I'll just remind myself of that. And it just it's a be- it's a simple way of centering yourself. And it's it's done these consistent consistently done. These are these things do transform our inner selves. You know, it's interesting. I just read a book recently, um, and I'm I'm having a podcast in a few weeks with the, the author of it. So I'll, I'll save mentioning the book, but. In her book, she says, "If you um, if you do something, uh, and she's like a brain scientist, if you do something three times a day for six weeks, then that will become a habit." Now, a lot of people have different rules about what becomes a habit in science, so I don't know if this is true or not. But it's just interesting that, like you, she doesn't say just do it when um, you're aware of being negative. She says yeah. actually have a proactive habit of being positive and in your proactive habit is remembering these uh, poems and how it affects you. Yeah, I mean, that's just a new thing I've been playing with. Another thing I want to do is actually start meditating on my death. You know, the whole samurai thing because actually that's when you really start to appreciate life. And it's interesting at pilgrimages, you see a lot of symbolism of life and death. You know, because you pass, um, they're based around religious uh, themes. And so it's funny, it's, it reminds, you know, so this book has, you know, ultimate rebirth, but you can't go have rebirth without death, even personal rebirth, right? Which is uh, something you've, you've talked about before. It's like, you got to hit bottom, when we hit bottom is often when we really truly rise to our greatest self. It's like that f- becoming that phoenix that, that, you know, and gone with the wind, as God is my witness, I will never go hungry again. Do you ever think she'll ever go hungry? No. She's like, she's hit bottom. She's made that inner choice. She's going to rise, Right. Uh, how, do, how do you think? So some people hit bottom, and and a lot of people who are successful say I hit bottom, and then I 
then I became a success after that. But, but I'm <laughs> sure there's a lot of people out there we don't hear about who hit bottom and just keep going down. There really what? is no bottom. You can just keep no, going actually, down. No, actually, I have, down. have a line that the character says, yeah, if there's a bottom, then there's many levels, you know, and I've just discovered a new one. Right. right? Um, I think there's different kinds of bottoms in our life, and each one, all don't have to propel us forward. We are human beings by nature of human beings. That, that means we make mistakes. Uh, I don't think if you look at the word human and the Wikipedia says perfect, right? So, but but it's when we actually the ones that when we do hit our, and bottom is a personal definition. You know, it could be a hangnail for someone, not me. But uh, you know, but when, but realizing that going into the inner self that I am gonna get out of, this, I'm gonna be better. It's who you become. Once again, personal transformation. It's who you become because that person, like you and I know, for, have no people, and heck, that's you, who've made money, lost money, made money, lost money, and you're making money again. And it's because who you became in the process that you will always make money. Like uh, my brother, you know, who's obviously, you know, is very successful in Silicon Valley, once said, you know, if somehow I just woke up on Mars one day, I'd just start building hotels on Mars. Like you develop that mindset. But, you, but he's had bottoms. I've seen what he's gone through as an entrepreneur in Silicon Valley, you know, that's led to his success. He, I mean, I live with him with, during some of those. So, like, you go through those, it's who you become, and then what you build out of that. You don't have to hit, go build something great out of every bottom, right? That's, we're human. Right, like, if you, if you hit bottom, you don't have to necessarily go on a 550-mile walk. But It'll you help. Could, but, but you could find, <laughs> it would help, but you could find maybe some smaller pilgrimages in, in your life to... One day pilgrimages somehow. Yeah. Just anything that's not a commoditized, convenient experience, I think, could be transformed. Yeah. No somehow. online programs, no like coaching, no going to a seminar, just you yourself having an experience that's yourself. That's a really interesting point because, again, I think um, with the proliferation of not only self help books, but insta-, insta quotes, like Instagram photos with inspirational quotes, it's almost like. Uh, uh, the experience of self-help has become too conven- so convenient that it's not helpful anymore. It's not. Like and, all those and, quotes on Instagram, like whose life was is suddenly transformed because they read a quote on Instagram. Right, and, and, and it seems like we're, uh, what I keep getting back to and what I keep thinking about is the, a pilgrimage is the original self-help. It's like, okay, you have a problem, you're scared, you're troubled, you're in a rut, whatever, you need to figure something out, start here. Start walking. Step by step. Yeah. It's such a great metaphor for life. Step by step. I remember once I was ready to give up, and the guy, this German guy from the Black Forest, just said, It's just step by step. Why were you ready to give up? Um, I was just tired. I was scared about where to go home to. I was almost out of money. I'm like, I barely have left for a plane ticket. When I go back, I'll be homeless. Like, well, he's like, Listen, man. I'm like, And what am I going towards? This, this Santiago so far is still like 300 miles. He's like, Just step by step. You know, that's the secret of building a startup. That's a secret to raising a venture fund. That's secret to anything. It's just step by writing step. Writing a novel. Writing. Oh my God! Writing a novel word by word. Right. How many? How long did it take you to write this novel? I wrote the first draft in 1998. 1998. So I wrote and rewrote ago. obsessively this novel from scratch over over a decade, eight drafts, and I sold this to Hachette last fall, and then I wrote the final draft this year. But I'm, you know, I'm so grateful it took that long because. I would send it out to get rejections, and I would get depressed, and I would say, "Okay, I'm going to become a better writer to make this novel better." And I will actually, and then I would spend a year just teaching myself while building startups, you know, reading Hemingway at night, and obsessively just learning and rewrite from scratch, send it out again. The reje- rejection letters got better and better over time until there were personal phone calls, and then I was building this company, and that fell apart, and then I fell apart, and you wrote a blog post, and Love Yourself took off, but Love Yourself exists. Because of all those rejections, I got that made me become a better writer. 
that allowed me to write that simply. That allowed me to write an eight thousand eight thousand word book. You know, I it's hard to write a small book. You know, but every word matters. That's work. Right. You know, that's craft. Well, and even with this, I remember you had to your, your biggest challenge. Uh, it, towards the end was not the writing, but the rewriting. You had to oh. take 30% of this book out. You know, one of the wisest things I've had happen for this novel was the editor, Mauro Depreda at Hachette. So I thought I was going to get like this amazing like line by line. We're going to hold hands and do things together. And he just said, listen, man, I love this story. You got the spine. I want you to go and get rid of 70% of the characters and cut at least 40%. You have three months. Go. And I remember walking around thinking, I'm going to give him his money back. And then I sat down and thought, okay, how am I going to do this? And I actually, writing itself became his own pilgrimage because I basically just yeah, you gave everything. I disappeared. I gave everything in this book. And every day I was, I was sitting in front of my computer not knowing how to do it. But like 10 hours later, 11 hours later, I'd done something. So by like a month, month and a half, when I would sit down in front of my computer, I knew I'd be able to do something. And I just worked. And he was so right, so wise in not giving me line-by-line line stuff because he knew that I had to figure out what the right characters or right lessons. And that actually allowed me to take all these other life lessons that I've learned you know, since, since then, like about loving yourself, hitting bottom, you know, saying yes to life, forgiveness, like so much. And I was able to layer them in to make this way better book than it ever could have been. So, so let's talk about it. You're, you're, you're on the journey. And I imagine when you're in the middle of something like this, there, there must be some kind of almost loss of identity. You're no longer kind you're, of the yeah. Kamal Ravikant that was you, you know, working in the trauma thing. You're, you're now this entity on a pilgrimage around people you've never been bef around before, in a place you've never been before, on a road you've never, going to something you've never heard of before. So so what's happening as you start to to rebuild after this loss of identity? Who, who are you meeting and what are you learning? You know, ultimately you realize um, you just become one another pilgrim one of many who's existed under the stars and come and gone. And it's so freeing. It's so freeing. You let go of your personal drama and you're just another pilgrim making his way out west under the stars. It's like one of the most, you know, it's like realizing I'm just another human being doing what humans do under the stars and boom, I'm a firefly and I'm gone. It, it's just something really freeing about that. And that happens. I don't know. I don't think I can point to how to make it happen like, you know, step one, step two. You got to go through your own inner journey or outer journey, which is a combination inner and outer, to get there. But it does happen. A pilgrimage, this, it, that happened for me. And that happens to this character who realizes I'm just, you know, where it becomes, he, it's a humility that happens. And I think personal transformation also comes from an inner humility. That's where forgiveness comes from. Because forgiveness, otherwise, you know, you can't be holding on to something if you're humble, about, you know, like a grudge. Humility comes from letting go, realizing your humanness, the people you're holding against their humanness. Okay, but let me let me uh, challenge that. So mm -hmm. your father was abusive. Let's just say he hit you every day. I don't know the story. Um, how do you ever get enough humility to forgive that? Because, well, in in the, in walking the pilgrimage, the people I met and what they shared with me, and I realized ultimately he was a human being with his faults. And he did try in his own way. You know, we create stories about everyone in our lives, right? We can take a, th but there's certain points we take in our lives and we just create a story around it. One can always pick other threads and create a story, an opposite story around it. You know, statistics, you can take the same data and really have completely different conclusion, right? So um, ultimately it was realizing his humanness and, uh, and loving his humanness. 
And that's what actually where the forgiveness came from. But just he was human, you know. He was screwed up. He came from his own thing, and he did try in certain ways. I just didn't see those until he was dead, right? And and it was sad to realize that after he died, you know, because you miss you miss that connection. But it is it, it it does free you, you know. I wish for people that they can do that before they lose a loved one, you know, like you've been through it. You know, it's it's hard when you can't you can't sit to their face anymore. You know, you can say to the stars, or you can say to an on a journal, you can say to them in your mind. But there's something that we miss out on saying, looking in the eyes and saying that it's a gift to ourselves. Ultimately, all these things that we do, they're a gift to ourselves more than they are to the other person. As as it's true, uh, or it's interesting about it that it's a gift to yourself. Um, on the journey, was there a point you remember where suddenly you're like realizing this? You know. The, the kind of humanness of your father, the other story of your father, and 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 you wish you could have told him that. Yeah, um, and here's a very interesting thing, and a thing that it actually happened. I was in a little church in a little mountaintop town called Osobrero. It's like a little, little tiny town in the middle of nowhere. It's like the highest point of the Camino, and there's a beautiful like story behind it. And I was there with lighting a candle, and that's when it really all hit me. And I, that's where the forgiveness happened. I remember that moment, right? And a year or two later, I was reading uh, Paulo Coelho's A Pilgrimage. He walked the Camino de Santiago. In fact, if you read The Alchemist, the, name, the main character's name is Santiago. Mm-hmm. He wrote it after walking the Camino de Santiago. Mm-hmm. So The Pilgrimage, his, it's his nonfiction. And his climax, where he receives a sword from his teacher, happened in the same damn church in a mountain time in Osobrero. I found out years later, I was like, reading, I was like, what are the odds of that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's like there's something special here that's that's happening here. Like my personal climax. So actually, I also make like this character's main climax, like like the forgiveness climax, happen in the same exact place. Um, so that was a point. But I don't think um, you know. It's like a tipping point. You can't just like take a plane and land there. You got to get there, get there, work towards it, and you know, do the work, and eventually it just tips. Mm-hmm. And that's where the tipping point happened. And so it's almost like like, and I love. Um, there's definitely kind of a, a literary uh, connection between this and Paulo Coelho's *The Alchemist*, which is also obviously a very, very beautiful book, one of the most famous books of all time. And uh, uh, I love though the idea that there's an alchemy to it. Uh, that it's not, it's like you say, you can't just land there. It's a combination of realizing, you know, being at the beginning of a, a journey, which means you're at the end of something else. It's the people you're around. It's the the sharp focus. Everything around you starts to have on a pilgrimage. What else is in this in this alchemy that leads to these these tipping points? What else is in the alchemy? And it's obviously facing fears. You know, got to like you're dealing with personal fears. You're in a foreign country. You don't speak the language. You know, you have the grunting point to get your food. Um, you could be robbed. You could be like waylaid. You know, you're in a foreign place. You don't know. You're you could fall and break your leg. You know, people die doing these things. You know, you, blisters. Some people get so blisters they stop. You know, it's but it's all a matter of step by step by step. It happens. Uh, that is that is the key. And when you got to the so for, so past the tipping point, what happens at what? I mean, people can read the book, but to you personally, what happened at the end? Then all sorts of resolutions just happen. It's funny when you let go. Is when we let go. Is when all things just start to happen and all the realizations come and just life just starts to work more. It, define let go. Use another phrase. Uh, forgiveness, for example, is a letting go. Mm. Right? Um, saying yes to life and not fighting it, not resisting what's happening. I think that's a key 
theme in this book, and oh, I've learned. What does that mean? It's, saying yes to life. It's actually something that a monk told me years ago, and I really layered that as a core theme in this book. I, I remember asking him. Uh, I, I was a bit of a wise ass, I think, but I really meant it. I was like, "How do you?" He just looks so calm and peaceful and so joyful. I was like, "How do you find peace?" Because his life was not easy. And I was like, "How do you find peace?" And he looked at me. and goes, "Easy question, huh?" And I'm like, "Eh, you know, if I'm going to ask you a question, that's the question." He said, "Okay, I'll tell you." He said, "I say yes." To all that happens, I say yes, and that literally is a secret. Because I think so much, so much of our pain uh, it comes from resisting what's happening. Mm-hmm. It's not giving in and saying, "Yay!" You know, like, "Okay, let me just." But it's like being in the moment, saying yes, and then coming from there. What do I want to do? That's a place of power. It's interesting because I guess the other reflex to what's happening is to, let's say, if it's a bad thing happening, is to to either be angry about it, be regretful, or to blame others, or to complain about it. All of these things... Saying no. All of these things actually do the same purpose of relieving the stress of the situation. If I can blame others, it relieves the stress of the situation. So if I'm upset about a car hitting me, uh-huh. I can say, that guy's broke the law, I'm going to sue him. And if somehow it makes you feel a little better about the situation. But if you say, yes, this happened, it allows you to actually just move past it and continue on your life. You can still sue him. You, you can still you sue him. Yeah. But it's, it's ultimately but, it's your but personal... But you don't get bogged down in Bingo. the regret and the pain. Bingo. It's your inner self. Let's say you know you have an accident and and uh, you know you, you could sit there lying. That's another thing I talk about in the book is like, you say, why this? Why that? Why me? Why now? What Versus now what? This has happened. There's nothing I can do. Nothing I can do to change it. This has happened. Now what do I do? Now who do I become? That's so, where the freedom is. So so past the events of the novel, you come back home uh-huh. to the U.S. Uh, did you feel like a changed person? I was, and it was so hard to reconnect with people when I came back because you you just, you just you go from these. You come back and you lived a life in this short encapsulated period of time. Like you lived a whole life, like a whole hero's journey. I mean, ultimately, pilgrimage is a hero's journey. It's right. a classic hero's journey. You lived your own personal hero's journey. You come back. It's like when I came back from boot camp and I was trying to like connect with my high school friends. I just look, I couldn't connect with them. You're like you're you've lived through something. You know, guys who go to war come back. They have a hard time connecting with with people who haven't. You know, you've it's um, you're changed fundamentally. You're changed. Like what was an experience after you came back from this pilgrimage that someone so you were out with, let's say, an old friend. And he or she did something that, that you like no longer could connect with. Or I, relate I remember to. I had less patience for small talk, just just complaining and all this other stuff. You know, just it's like you, you're just like why, why? You know, this is a waste of my life. You know, so Do you, did you keep that feeling, or does it start to wear off? You know, all these things. I think then I was uh, not smart enough to try to hang on to it. But what I was smart enough to do was try to write it down. Hmm. We started the, my my writing journey. Which is what led to love yourself, which led to all of it was actually walking that pilgrimage and trying to capture it so I could share it. Actually, I started to write it down because I wanted to share the experience with friends so they could understand. That's why I first started, right? Um, but I think all these, if I kept a practice, if I created a practice, like a daily practice where I actually encapsulated some of the core principles and did them, I, I would have kept it. I've had to learn that later on, like with loving yourself, you know, when I was like literally, de- it was a desperate attempt to save my own life or just get or, or be gone, right? But I create a practice and that practice saved my life, you know, and I still do it. And 
when I do it in you know, a half ass, my life is half ass. When I do it full on, my life is full on. It's really that simple. When we create these lessons, these personal transformation lessons, and we create our own ritual, our own practice, our own consistency, that's when life sings. Do you think it has to be like very personal, like your practice yes. is yours and yes. somebody else? I mean, so, we can look at look at others and copy and see what works for us. Mm-hmm. You know, like your daily practice still is the very best thing I've ever I've ever come across. Mm-hmm. It really, really is. And I still tell people the internet was designed so you could write that one blog post, that one particular blog post you wrote about that your first one about the daily practice. What was yeah. it? How to be the luckiest guy alive? Yeah, yeah. Right. That's why the internet was created. That practice, anyone take anyone can take it. It is broad enough and apply it to their life, create their own rituals, and it will transform their life. And I've seen it done for you. You know, you've gone through personal bottoms, and you keep doing it. You keep doing it, and you rise. You always do, and you bounce back faster and faster. I think that's you the know? key, is that failure happens, and it's the almost the speed of bounce back as yeah. you develop this practice, and, and it gets more and more incorporated into who you are as opposed to something you do. And then I've also noticed in you, you have this almost faith in the practice because you've experienced the bouncing back enough times that you know no matter what happens, you will just go into the continue the practice right. and things will turn around really fast. I mean, I have seen it happen with you in front of my eyes. Yeah, you know? no, it's been, uh, we've been through a, a, a <laughs> roller coaster a few years. But it's, it's so inspiring because you actually, you know, it's, it's the consistently it's doing it. That's all it is. And there's days, and the days you don't want to do it, it's the days where you must. Right. That's the thing because this, the, when you're down is not when you want to be focusing on the good things, but that's when you must. So, so, so tell me, like now, uh, you wrote this novel. Mm-hmm. This is the first, obviously, it's a big goal. Is this, is this like was this like on your bucket list? Write a novel and no, it wasn't a bucket list. I had a story, a very important story to tell that I know. Look, I could have written these lessons in nonfiction, right? But. But something like this, I know that if you tell a story and you share these lessons, they get layered in into a, into the reader, and the reader is better for it. What do you mean by layered? Because look, subconsciously, like how did how did human beings transform now? Like uh, transmit knowledge from generation to generation? It was through storytelling, through you know before the written word, right? So 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 in other words, like you by telling this story, some of the lessons happen while we're watching this character as opposed to this character just simply lecturing us. Yeah, oh, no, I mean, exposition is the worst thing in fiction, right? Uh, you, you, want, you want to be layered in, and as he's growing and the same lessons weaving in from other characters in other ways and through the back, you know, through different story arcs, you can't help but have those woven inside you by the time you're done reading this book. That, I mean, was, my, that was my core key goal for writing this book, this way of fiction, because I could have taken this, because I've had success as nonfiction, Taking the lessons, I've written a nonfiction book, Your Personal Pilgrimage by Kamal Ravikant, or whatever, you know? But I think this story serves that way better, serves the reader way better. I, I agree with you. And you know, the very interesting thing you just said when you t- when you just gave a title of the nonfiction version of this, the title was in the second person, right? You use you, your, your, per, your whatever you said. Uh-huh. Um, this book is written, of course, in the first person. So where along with you, we're the I yeah. in the book. Yeah. We're having personal struggles, and we're on the journey, and we experience what you're experiencing, as opposed to someone saying to me, "You, you're, you do this, you do that," which I th- I find to be very annoying in the um, kind of literature of self help that it's all written in the second person, and you never know who the I is. And uh, it's, that's also fear based writing, honestly. You I got, agree. You got to you. open yourself up fully if you do the I. Because yeah. the readable sense it if you don't. So that's real writing. You do that very well. Well, and you, and you do it very well in this book. But uh, I mean, 
again, this is this is a great book. I really enjoyed. I've read it read it twice now. Wow! And actually, two and a half times because I read. <laughs> You initially sent me a link years ago to a much earlier yeah. uh, uh, draft, um, and I just think this is a beautiful book. I think it's the right, you know, the right stories. The characters are all fascinating. It's like each character is iconic of some other lesson that you have to yes. to learn. Um, and I just highly recommend this. I think I'm going to predict right now this is going to be a best-selling book. Thank you, so, James. So rebirth by Kamal Ravikant. I want to read some of the quotes actually on the book because they're great. It's a great quote from you actually on the back of the book. There is a great <laughs> quote from me. This book transport this book transported me into an adventure I hope I never leave, which is true. I think the idea of a pilgrimage is so exciting to me. It's it's Luke Skywalker going yes. to the Death Star and yes. back, you know. Yes. So the it's it's Harry Potter going onto the train to Hogwarts for the first yes. time. So and then there's um there's Ryan Holiday, who's a good friend of ours. Uh, there, he says, there is a line in this book: "If you're on the road, you're a pilgrim." This is a beautiful, beautiful book for anyone who ever has or ever will make a journey inward or outward, which is a good distinction he, he made. Then Robin Sharma, who, who wrote the book uh, "The Monk Who Sold His Ferrari," uh, he wrote a profoundly valuable book that will help you rewire your deepest self so you lead your greatest life. And I think that word rewire is very important with rebirth. Yeah. Because you go on this pilgrimage and you strip your identity down to its basics as you begin this. And you do get rewired by all the things you see and the people you meet and the thing and the experiences you have with them and the things you say to each other. And it does become transforming that rewiring. Yeah. Personal transformation. And Cheryl Richardson also gave a beautiful quote. You know, she's I mean, we both are big fans of hers, and she yeah. loves this book. Which you know, it's it's amazing. Like people like you know you, Cheryl. People I so love and admire when they that that they, when you see my work and you love my work, it's like the best thing in the world. You know, when you give your all to something, and then people you respect actually like love it. It's the best thing. Well, I think this this, I mean, love yourself was a great. First of all, that was a great book. It's still a bestseller. What is it? Four years later. Yeah. Uh, so it's still a bestseller on Amazon. People, it's obviously changing people's lives. I think this book will do the same. Uh, rebirth. Uh, uh, and look, congratulations on on writing this novel. Thanks, uh, James. Uh, you know, I think this will this will do really well. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you. I love you. Thank you for having me. Second time. Second time. <laughs> Next time on the James Altucher Show. I talk about um, Primo Levi in the book. I talk about how he describes when he came back from the Nazi death camps, how he is on the train having just been released with his fellow prisoners. And he feels a sense of relief and trauma and excitement that he's going back to his hometown. So the train pulls into the station and his townspeople, who he hasn't seen for years, go to him and see him and his emaciated fellow travelers. And they say to Levi, what has happened to you? What happened to you? And Levi talks about how he starts to tell people of his experience. His words come tumbling out. And as he starts to tell people of his experience, they turn and walk away, unable to metabolize, unable to see, unable to hear what he has gone through. And he describes how, in many ways, this 
experience was even more traumatic than some of the experiences that he has in the death camp. Because our human need to be seen is so fundamental. And what he was experiencing in that moment was the opposite. So in Emotional Agility, and this comes to the writing, I talk about not only the need for others to see us, but for us to see ourselves. And maybe that's the first step. Correct. It's absolutely the first step. We so often live our lives in our heads and we keep a safe distance from ourselves, from our hearts, from our needs, from our desires, from our emotions. We get up, we go to work each day, we put in a smile, we do our project. And what's really interesting is that keeping a safe distance doesn't keep us safe. Keeping a safe distance actually undermines our capacity to be resilient. When did you get interested in this? Where along the way did you experience setbacks that drove you to this study? Hey, thanks for listening. Listen, I have a big favor to ask you, and it will only take 30 seconds or less, and it would mean a huge amount to me. If you like this podcast, please let me know. Please let the team I work with know. Please let my guests know. And you can do this easily by subscribing to the podcast. It's probably the biggest favor you could do for me right now. And it's really simple. Just go to iTunes, search for The James Altucher Show, and click subscribe. Again, it will only take you 30 seconds or less. And if you subscribe now, it will really help me out a lot. Thanks again. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.